Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here. It is great to see you. And uh, as Charlie mentioned, we did have a baptism during the first service, and so that means I get an extra five to 15 minutes uh, right now, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just, you guys laugh. Yeah, oh well. So, uh, but this morning we are looking at uh, Philippians chapter one. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there to Philippians one. Uh, this is our third week in this series in the book of Philippians, and uh, we still have one more week before we leave the first chapter. So uh, next week we'll finish out the first chapter, but, um, but if you've been with us, then you know that one of the themes, uh, maybe the theme that is arising that has come about uh, in this book is the theme of rejoicing, of joy. Right, we've already heard it in the last two sermons. Right, we heard that Paul is rejoicing because of his love for this church. Last week, he's rejoicing that the gospel is advancing, even though he's in chains, even though he's in prison, even though his freedoms have been taken away. The gospel is moving forward, and so he can rejoice, he can celebrate, he can have joy. And this morning, we see more rejoicing. But this morning, the rejoicing takes place over life and over death. And so before we read the passage, what I want us to do is a little thought experiment. Okay, so I want you guys to get ready. I want you to think how you would fill in this phrase. So this sentence, life is blank. How would you fill that in? How about the world around you? How would they answer that? What word would they insert in the blank? Life is. Or your neighbors or your friends, your family members, your heart. How would we fill that blank in? Life is. Well, we don't have to look very hard to find all sorts of things that people put forth to put their life in, to put their trust in, right? I mean, t-shirts and bumper stickers say things like, life is good or life is a beach. Just the other day, I was behind a car at a stoplight, and, and on one side of the, the window, it said, uh, bow life. So it had a picture of someone pulling back a bow. So, you know, maybe this person likes to hunt. Maybe they're into archery. I'm not really sure. But, but something about a bow is what they have put their life around. And on the other side, the other sticker said salt life. And I have no idea what that means either. You know, maybe they like the ocean. Maybe they're kind of salty. You know, they're, they're kind of flavorful. I, I'm not really exactly sure what that means. But, but it means something to them, Right? And there are all sorts of things we could fill that sentence in with. A show that Kat and I recently streamed, one of the characters says, football is life. Now, they're in England playing in the EPL, and so football for them is what we call soccer. But he goes and he says this over the course of many episodes, football is life. And another show we've been streaming, the characters, it's clear that what is life to them is acclaim and affirmation. Maybe life is power or influence. Maybe life is having a spouse or having children or having the right kind of children or a job. Maybe life is intellectual achievement or pursuit or maybe it's pleasure-seeking, right? We all know the phrase, eat, drink, and be merry. So how would you answer that? Life is what? Well, the truth is, is that however we answer that, whatever we fill in the blank, that's our heart's desire. That is what our life is oriented around. And the truth is, is we're going to orient our lives around something. We're going to give our hearts over to someone or to something. And the hard truth 
is that whatever it is that we give our lives to, at some point they will stop being giving of life. They will stop being life-giving. Right? You give your life to a spouse. You look to them to satisfy all your needs. They will be life-giving until they hurt you. You put your life, you orient it around a child until they leave. They rebel. You give your lives to power, it will one day be taken from you because we will all die and whatever power or influence that we have accumulated in this world will be gone. You can eat, drink, and be merry. And for a moment, you'll be full of merriment. But oftentimes, the next morning, you'll just have a life of regret. So life is what? How would you answer that? Well, the Apostle Paul helps us to know what our life is to be in the passage before us. So let's go ahead and read. Philippians chapter 1 will begin at verse 18. Paul writes, Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask now simply that you would help us. For Father, there are many things that pull for our desires, pull at our attentions, pull at our minds and our hearts. And yet we know that uh, what we need is more of you. What we need is to rest in you. What we need for our lives is you. And so we pray that that's what we would find this morning. That we would find you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I asked where you find your life, and you heard where Paul said life is found, right? I mean, it's at the very center of our passage, the very spiritual center of the verses that we just read in verse 21. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. And it is that provocative and very profound statement that we're going to spend our time fleshing out this morning. Because in one sense, this entire passage, those few verses that I just read, in one sense, they are all encapsulating what it means to live as Christ and to die as gain. And so we're going to look at those two halves of this statement. And we begin with that statement, to live as Christ. So what does that mean? To live as Christ. I mean, that sounds wonderful. It would look great on a mug, right? Maybe that would be great on a bumper sticker. But what does that actually mean for our lives? To live as Christ. Well, at the very basic level, at the very minimum, it means that Jesus is the source of our life, right? And we know this because in John 14, Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, Jesus there didn't say, I am a way, I am a truth, I am a life. He said, I am the life. There is no life apart from me. That's what he's declaring. 
that whatever we put in that blank, life is, if it is someone or something other than Jesus, it is not true life. So we know that to live as Christ at its very basic, at its most basic, is that he is the source of life. But there's more to it than that. Because what we are to do is actually not just find him as our source for our life, but the manner of our lives as well. That we are to live for him. That's what Paul says in verse 20. That with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So you see, Paul is saying that his entire life is going to be one in which Jesus is honored. That he would give glory to God through his life. And so Jesus isn't just simply something that we add on to our lives. Like, Jesus isn't just there to help us with our goals, whatever our goals might be. Maybe it is a spouse. Maybe it's, it's a climbing the ladder in our profession. Maybe it's having a great 401k so we can retire early. Whatever our goals in life might be, and they might be fine, Jesus is not there just to add on to them. He's not just there to further our goals. Actually, what Paul is telling us is that Jesus is the goal of our lives. He is the goal. That our lives are to be lived for him. But what's amazing about this passage is that our lives are not just lived in sacrifice and in service for Jesus, but actually for others. That's how Paul fleshes this out. Did you see it in verses 22 through 23? He says, if I'm to live in the flesh... That means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. So you hear the two things that he's hard-pressed between. He's feeling this tension. He feels this tension because he, he wants to go away and he wants to be with Jesus and he wants to die. He wants to enter into the presence of the Lord, but, but he also feels hard-pressed. He feels this tension because he, he wants to stay as well. But did you notice why he wants to stay? It's not because of the things he's going to miss out on, right? You, you've played this game before, right? Like, uh, if you only had two weeks to live, you only had one week to live, what would you do? Where would you go? What would you see? We love to play this game in my family, right around the dinner table. And we come out with the most outlandish, you know, ridiculous, I want to, you know, dance on the rings of Saturn or something, you know, something absurd, right? I don't think we've actually ever said that. But, um, but you know, we say crazy things. I want to go to the moon, you know, Elon Musk, take me into, this, into space, whatever, right? Those are, we say crazy things. We say the things that we, we feel like we would miss out on if we were to die today. Things like staying in front of the Eiffel Tower, or walking the halls of Buckingham Palace. Or I know all of you are thinking, taking one more Cardinals game. <laughs> or standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon. And all of these things that we would see and we would do, we would be surrounded by the people that we love. Right? Fa friends and family. Those are the things that we think about. Like, I don't want to go and be with the Lord quite yet, right? Like, like not yet, because I want to see these things. I want to be with these people. I, I want to spend time in this way, right? Like, those are the things that we think about. That is the tension we feel. But did you notice the tension that Paul feels? You see, Paul wants to remain, not because of the good that it will bring him, but because of the good, it will bring the Philippians. 
Look at what he says in verse 23. I am hard-pressed between the two. But then he goes on and says, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. To remain is more necessary on your account, not on mine, but on yours. You see, Paul is telling us something fundamental about the Christian life. That the Christian life, our new life, is not for ourselves. But it's for others. To live as Christ means that our lives are to be lived in service and sacrifice for others. And that is fundamental to the Christian life because it was fundamental to Christ's life. You remember one of the most powerful statements Jesus ever made was in Mark chapter 10. When he said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I imagine that many of us have memorized that verse, but think, let that sink in. The Son of Man, the King of the universe, the one who created the heavens and the earth and hold them together, he came to earth not to be served, but to serve for you and for me. Jesus lived and he died and he rose again and in his life and death and resurrection, he was exalted and he is the Savior forevermore and he did that for us. Christ's life was a life of sacrifice, of giving himself for the sake of others, of dying to himself. Excuse me. And that's what, excuse me, that's what our lives are to be. That our lives are to be lives of death. That's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. To live as Christ means to die. To die to ourselves. To die to our preferences. To die to our own desires for the sake of others. I mean, that's what Paul's saying about his life, right? He wants to go. He would prefer to leave. He can't wait to be with Jesus. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. You see, he's focused not on what he wanted or what he desired, but what was best for the church. This is why he says in verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. You see, to live as Christ is not just about my life or your life. It is about the life that we live for the sake of others. And Paul sees his life with the Philippians as one of helping them, of encouraging them towards maturity and joy. It's what he says, for your progress and joy in the faith. And so you see this this idea to live as Christ, it's actually challenging how we often reduce the, the doctrine of our salvation. You see, we often think of our salvation as simply being that which which prevents us from having judgment of God brought upon us. Or salvation simply gets us into heaven or frees us from our sins. And it is all that, y'all. It is. But it's more than that. God has not saved us just so that we could go to heaven. God has saved us so that our lives would be used in service of him and of one another. Our salvation is not just for ourselves. It's for the sake of others. That's why Paul prays, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. 
And what's amazing about this is that when we lead lives like this, like Jesus led, it brings joy. It brings joy not just for the recipients of our service and of our, of our sacrifice, but it brings joy to us as well. Right? And we know this. This is why we serve our family members and our spouses and our children and one another, right? It's, it's not just because they take joy in it, but because we take joy in their joy. You see, to live as Christ means that lives will be marked by death, death to ourselves. But y'all, that's not all that Paul says. He's not just concerned with our lives, he's also concerned with our death. Because he says not only to live is Christ, but he also says to die is gain. Now let's be honest, like this is not how we think about death, right? To die is gain. This is not how our world thinks about it. In fact, we do everything we can to prevent death, right? We exercise, we eat right, we take medicine and vitamins and do all these sorts of things, right? Even, even People like the, the great baseball player Ted Williams was cryogenically frozen in order to try and stave off death. Right? We do whatever we can to prevent death from coming. And for good reason. Death is an intruder. It is a result of the fall. The Bible tells us that. That in God's good creation, when Adam and Eve were first created, that death was not a part of their experience. That death did not come into their experience until Genesis 3. And with death came this enemy. With the fall came this enemy, which is death. And that's what Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says the last enemy to be defeated is death. So if death is the enemy, if it's an intruder, how can he say to die is gain? I mean, is Paul contradicting himself? Well, he can only say it because he knows what death means for those who are trusting in Jesus. We see it in verses 19 through 20. He says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, when we hear that word deliverance, we probably start to think that Paul's talking about the deliverance from prison, that his chains will be thrown off, that he'll be able to be a free man again. And certainly there's good reason for us to think that, but what's fascinating about the word that he chooses to use there is that it can also be translated salvation. And often when it's used in other places in Scripture, this word is speaking not just of our momentary deliverance, but the deliverance that we'll achieve, that will be given to us when we enter into God's presence. So for instance, in 2 Timothy 4, Paul there says the Lord will rescue or deliver. It's the same word. The Lord will rescue me safely into his heavenly kingdom. You see, for Paul, and for the Christian, death is gain because of what death means. That for those who are hidden with Christ, death is not the end. But it is by the means by which we are actually ushered into the presence of God, into his heavenly kingdom, where we will become like Jesus as he is. That's what John says in 1 John chapter 3. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now. 
And what we will be is not yet appeared, but we know that when he, speaking of Jesus, appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So do you hear that? When we enter into God's presence and we see Jesus as he is, we will be like him, free from sin. We'll be like him, no longer burdened by our own rebellion. We'll be like him because we will be with him. We will be with him in another part of John's writings. In Revelation chapter 21, he speaks of the new heavens and the new earth. And he says, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore. You see, friends, we will be with him. In our death, we go into the presence of the Father. We enter into the presence of his heavenly kingdom. And because we are with him, there is no more crying. And there is no more mourning, and there is no more grieving, and there is no more sin, and there is no more pain. I mean, the picture of that, y'all, it, it is so glorious, it is hard to imagine. I mean, can you imagine a day, a week, a month where, where we don't have to confess sin anymore? Where, where we don't have to complain about the aches of our bodies? Where we don't have to grieve loss because there is no more loss? It is because of that that Paul can say death is gain. That is the gain that awaits the believer through our death. And it is only because of what is on the other side of death that Paul can say, to die is gain. Now let me just say, practically speaking, as we hold on to this, as we cling to this beautiful truth, it doesn't mean that just because through our death we will experience no more mourning and grieving that we don't experience mourning and grieving today. Because we do. Right? We, we do. You see, death might be the, the, uh, the way in which we enter into God's presence forevermore, but, but we know until that day comes, we taste the bitterness of death, and we experience the pain of death, and it is painful. And so, y'all, it is right for us to mourn, and it is right for us to grieve. It is right for us to weep. And to do so with one another. I mean, Jesus himself said, weep with those who weep. And so even as we cling to a beautiful passage like this, that, that to live is Christ and to die is gain, it, we are not to use this passage as a way of, of triumphant, triumphantly or triumphalistically moving someone through grief and mourning faster than they need. Of simply saying, put away your grief, put away your mourning because... To die is gain. There will be a time for that. But we are to mourn with those who mourn and to grieve with those who grieve. Paul himself said that in 1 Thessalonians when he said that we are to mourn and we are to grieve. And so let us do that. Let us give space to one another to do that. And let us grieve and mourn with hope because that is what Paul also said. That we can have hope that, that though the pain and the hurt 
and the grief that we experience in the moment, we have hope that that is not the end. It is not the end for us, and it is not the end for the one in whom we grieve. Because for the believer, through death, there is life. You see, to live as Christ means that we will die, but to die as gain means that we will live. That we will live with him. Is this beautiful truth that the German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer knew well. Bonhoeffer, as some of you know, was executed by the Nazis in a concentration camp. And as he went to his death, one of the doctors who witnessed his death later said that in the almost 50 years that I've worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. He saw something incredible in the way that Bonhoeffer died. That he died in the submission to the will of God. And the only reason Bonhoeffer could do that is because he believed to die is gain. And he actually said that before his death. You see, when he was in his prison cell and the guards called him to go to the place of execution, he turned to his fellow prisoners and he said, this is the end. For me, the beginning of life. This is the beginning of life. You see, Bonhoeffer had confidence in what Paul spoke of and what we can know. That you, if, if you are in Christ, if you are looking to him, death is gain. And y'all, in just a moment, we're going to sing of this. Because ju in just a moment, we're going to sing, Hasten on from grace to glory, armed by faith and winged by prayer. Heaven's eternal days before thee, God's own hand shall guide thee there. Soon shall close thy earthly mission, swift shall pass thy pilgrim days. Hope shall change to glad fruition, faith to sight, and prayer to praise. You see, what we will be singing is that for the believer, for those hidden in Christ, to die is gain. And the only way that we can sing those words, and the only way we can have assurance today of that reality, is because not only is death gain, but to live is Christ. That we have assurance that the life that we have in Christ is given by his death. So that we can say, to die is gain, but that we can also say that to live is Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you that by Jesus you have defeated death, that you have sent your Son to live and to die, and he has risen again as the victor over death. And because of that, we not only live for him today and all of our days, but we have confidence that in our death, we will enter into your presence. So we long for that day. We long for the day when we will dwell with you in all eternity. We long for the day when there will be no more grieving, no more mourning, no more pain, and no more weeping, no more sin. We long for that day, and so we ask, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come quickly. And until that day, help us to live as Christ. We pray this in your name. And God's people said together, amen.